0: Are you ever in situations where it seems too inconvenient to read the Bible? When you're tempted to think that way, I hope you'll remember this story from Merv Knight. He was visiting a family in Southeast Asia who showed him the steps they had to take in order to read the Bible because of the persecution in their area.
1: Uh, You know, they went over and they checked the door, made sure it was locked. Then they checked the windows, to make sure the shades were down. And and uh, and then satisfied that we were secure, this doctor went over near the fireplace and, and he wriggled around there with one of the bricks in the wall and it became a little bit loose and he slid the brick out. And then in behind the brick was a cavity and he reached his hand into the cavity. He pulled out a tattered Bible and a handful of
0: Every week you hear the Voice of the Martyrs radio right here, thanks to the efforts of many people who support the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs in all kinds of ways. Some work behind the scenes and others have a more visible role, but they all play an important part in fulfilling the mission that God has given to the Voice of the Martyrs. One of those who has served in a leadership position for a long time is Merv Knight. Merv is the co-founder of our sister mission in Australia, which helps to explain his accent. And he recently retired from serving on the board of directors of the Voice of the Martyrs USA. He was the longest serving board member on the board, and he is now a board member emeritus. Not long ago, as Merv was finishing his active service on the VOM USA board, He spoke to the staff here at VOM and just shared some stories of his time serving persecuted Christians, his time working alongside Pastor Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, the founders of The Voice of the Martyrs. And as I heard Merv's stories, I thought, boy, we have to share this with our VOM radio family. And so I wanted you to hear the stories and the encouragement that Merv offered to the staff here at The Voice of the Martyrs. Here's Merv Knight.
1: I thought I'd share with you a few memories of the ministry over the last 50 years and the things that, some of the things that have happened. And uh, I think back to my very first meeting with Richard Wernbrand when uh, I uh, was almost terrified. You know, I mean, we'd read his book and Torture for Christ and uh, in 1968 and just a little group of us, wrote a letter to him in, it's, it's, it's 51 years this month, that uh, a little group of us wrote a letter to him and uh, invited him to come to Australia and New Zealand. We would set up meetings for him and uh, he, he agreed and so we got into a frenzy of activity, arranging meetings and advertising, you know, there's so much to do. And they were in the days before... Computers were invented, and uh, email was ever thought of. So everything was done by snail mail. You know, writing letters around the country and waiting for replies, and writing to Richard by airmail halfway across the world and waiting for a reply. But uh, praise the Lord! Um, you know, it all came to pass, and uh, which was one of Richard's favourite uh, parts of the Bible. You know, in fact, and it came to pass. He used to say, you know, if it was torture or or beatings or whatever it was, it came to pass, and it did. He arrived in Sydney um, on the 1st of August 1969, and I went down to the airport to meet him. You know, having read his book and having some idea of all he'd passed through, I kind of went there in fear and trembling. But uh, I found him to become a very down-to-earth person and and uh, and became a great and wonderful friend over the 30 or so years that we worked together before the Lord took him home. And uh, in fact, I remember it was Paul, Paul Gustafson and I went down and had the opportunity of visiting with Richard in his house when he was very ill and, and getting toward the the end of his days, and that was probably the last time we we saw him. I remember we received a letter from Romania from somebody who knew Richard, and uh, one sentence in that letter was this, talking to Richard, When you left Romania, it was for us as if Christ had left. It's a great testament, isn't it? And and that's something for us all to remember. When you left Romania, it was though Christ had left. So Richard had made, you know, a great impression. All right, Richard Wembrandt talked a whole lot about uh, persecuted Christians. He mentioned the name, he knew them by heart. He would mention the name, this brother, this brother, this sister, this brother, mention them by name been in prison for 36 years, has just been arrested last week, uh, has been in prison for 12 years, has uh, uh, been in prison for 30 years, and uh, this one in Romania, and then he's saying that then there are, is this person, this brother in Albania, and then, then there are those Christians who languish in the labour camps in Siberia. And then in 1972, when I was at a conference in Germany, I met uh, a dear brother, uh, a Mennonite bishop, David Bontrager, who uh, came as a guest to our our conference. And he was just on his way back from Siberia. He lived in Indiana. Richard had had known him and entrusted him with something like 100,000 US dollars worth of Russian rubles, which David had carried into Siberia to go and distribute to Christians in the underground churches uh, that they knew of. And uh, interesting, you know, he he was about 70 years of age even then, David, uh, but still laboring on faithfully for the Lord. And he told me later, I got to know him uh, over the years, and he told me that his modus operandi was to get into the train uh, that was going up into Siberia, And uh, he'd have this bag full of rubles and knowing that they were going to be searched along the way, different places, the KGB officers would come aboard and search and so he took a screwdriver out of his pocket and he unscrewed the panels off the inside of the train carriage and uh, then he stuffed all the money in there and he screwed the panel back on, and then his bag was virtually empty, and uh, when the people came through to inspect everything, he willingly gave them his bag, to and they could find nothing in there that was incriminating, and so he made the journey, and when he finally was pulling into his destination, he went through the reverse operation, stuffed his bag with money and went out, and then uh, went on his way and met Christians and distributed the money uh, to them oh well, here, here's a bible verse I wanted to leave with you to consider a bible verse and in second uh, chronicles chapter 16 we read these words and these might be familiar for the eyes of the lord move to and fro throughout the earth you know that you heard it before do you know what comes after that you see we read the little bit that makes us feel good and and we leave it at that For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. But if you read on, it says, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. As we uh, go about the, the work that we do, it's important to recognize, I think, that we're not asking God to help us in our work what we're doing is thanking God that He's using us to help Him in His work, because the work that we do truly is, is God's work. And, uh, and, and I think it's good uh, to keep that in mind. Now, uh, I remember the time when uh, three of us decided to take a, a trip to Ukraine. We were in Moscow in uh, Russia And uh, we got on the train in Moscow to travel down to Ukraine, 19 hours in the train as we sped along the track at 40 miles an hour. But uh, as we made that long journey overnight, you know, we we made many trips to the, the young lady who had a little booth down in the end of the car and she always had always had cups of tea on hand, and so we made trips down to get cups of tea, and and she was curious about us, and a lot of other people were too, because it seemed to be that on that train, we were the only three foreigners, and nobody quite knew what to make of us, or even what we were doing there. It was even stranger when we came to the border between Russia and Ukraine, the officials there didn't know what to do. So they got our passports and took them away and looked at them and brought them back and gave them to us and the train still sat there and then they came back and got our passports and took them away and looked at them again and then eventually came back. They did it about three times, eventually gave them to us and the train went on. They did us quite a disservice because they looked at our passports and just gave them back to us. When we got to Ukraine, that was okay. We did what we went there to do, and then we were flying out of Ukraine, out of Kiev, back to uh, Switzerland, in fact. And when we went to leave through the airport, we got into all kinds of trouble because there was nothing in our passports to show that we'd entered the country. Because the guys at the border had, had absolutely... This was just after, you know, the Iron Curtain had collapsed and uh, the Soviet Union had disintegrated, and uh, it was very soon after it. And, uh, the officials at the border didn't have any idea what to do, so they didn't do anything. And uh, eventually, after a lot of discussion, they allowed us to leave the country. Anyhow, travelling in the train and uh, meeting uh, uh, and getting cups of tea from this young lady, we got to know her just a little bit. She could speak a little bit of English and and, and she could speak German. And my travelling companions could speak German and French, and uh, so we were able to communicate. And 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 there was a slowly the reserve broke down, and there's a little bit of a friendship developed. And so uh, we decided to take a risk, and and we went into our bags and we pulled out in the Russian language a copy of He Lived Among Us. You know the like the picture story of the, of the gospel and uh, in the Russian language. We pulled it out and, and we showed it to her, you know, wondering what's going to be the reaction to this. And uh, she looked at it and she turned over a page or two. She looked at it and she held it like this. And then she told us that her father was the pastor of a church. He had spent many years in prison in Russia because of his faith and because of his witness. And then um, she told us how she led a Sunday school class, and she had never in her whole life seen anything like this picture story of the gospel, and how she now is going to take that and use it all the time to try and teach the the, uh, children and the young people in her Sunday school class the, the story of Jesus, the gospel, message, and uh, we got preferential treatment then for the rest of the trip, and uh, as we were leaving, she made a special point of coming down the train to where we were to to farewell us, and, and uh, we put together quite a nice little financial gift, which we pressed on her, and we had to press it on her. She didn't want to take it, you know. These people are not there to beg from us. And we learn from them. We think of Christians in those difficult places being helpless and hopeless and not knowing what to do. And, uh, but the fact is they, they are enterprising and they are busy themselves in the best way they can be about the Lord's business. And, and they are doing, regardless of you people out there in the West, we are here, and we're doing the work as best we can under the circumstances that surround us to spread the the gospel, to make people to help people know that the Lord Jesus Christ came and died for them, and to win them uh, to Him. And uh, you know, it's not always oh we were able to give ten thousand. This book or that gospel to this group, or we actually provided twenty thousand over here, or in this country we were able to print forty thousand and distribute them. Sometimes it's the one-on-one connection, uh, making friends with somebody, and and means so much, and really in the end bears so much fruit. Uh, I remember being in Shanghai; we cautiously made our way down back streets and quietly knocked on a door and uh, the friend who was with me had been there before and was known in the country and uh, the door opened just a little crack and the people looked out and they saw him and immediately opened the door and welcomed us in. You know, uh, and and they had a, a Bible group, a Bible study group, underground church, house church, whatever you like to call it, meeting there quietly, covertly in that little room from time to time. And, of course, Bibles are not available in China, especially back in those years. We we asked them then, do you have a Bible? And so, uh, you know, they went over and they checked the door, made sure it was locked. Then they checked the windows to make sure the shades were down and, and, uh, and then satisfied that, we were secure, this doctor went over near the fireplace and and he wriggled around there with one of the bricks in the wall and it became a little bit loose and he slid the brick out and then in behind the brick was a cavity and he reached his hand into the cavity. He pulled out a tattered Bible and a handful of, well, I guess we would call them tracts And, and, and they were using those to carefully witness to other people in Shanghai as well as as, uh, encouraging their own little group of Christians who met there. You see, they were not sitting there being sorry for themselves in their situation, depending on us out here in the West to rush in with all kinds of help. They were doing what they could do under all those circumstances to help themselves and, and to be busy presenting the gospel. You know, we need to remember that. It's great the things that we can do. It's great that we can print a 100,000 Bibles or a million Bibles or whatever we do in this language or that language that we can go in with life packs and all kinds of things that will help and, and encourage Christians in, in those situations. But let us not forget... Uh, they are not just passively sitting there waiting for us to come along. They are to the best of their ability and with the talents that they have and the abilities that they have and the little bit of finance that they have, they're getting about the work of the Lord in the best way that they can. I have been very impressed. I've travelled many times in China, way to the far northwest, down in the south and up to the northeast and uh, uh, I've been impressed there to work with Christians who are not standing there with their hands out, but are managing amongst themselves to fund Christian work themselves and do absolutely the best that they can. I uh, have a particularly good friend, we call him David, who lives in Beijing, and he works a lot in Inner Mongolia. We've been there to visit with him various times, or met him in other places, Sometimes it's hard to press money on him because he believes we are responsible to fund the work ourselves. The Lord in one way or another, maybe not in the degree that you know, but he blesses us and he provides for us and we take our tithe and we put our tithes together and and we do the work of the Lord. It's very encouraging to meet such people. And then, of course, we're able to talk and uh, to have fellowship uh, and then to persuade such people that, look, here we are and and we can help you to enlarge your work. We don't want to come in here and take over your work. We want to simply partner with you in what you're doing to spread the gospel uh, through you to your people here in this land. So let's remember that verse Uh, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Thank God for the big things we're able to do. But how I thank God for his little people, for their faithfulness and for the wonderful opportunity God gives us to cross their path and to learn from them, and to fellowship with them, and to work with them. And the last thought I want to leave with you is uh, the one I began with, that letter that came out of Romania about Richard Wurmbrand. When you left Romania, it was as though Christ left. Wouldn't it be wonderful that for each one of us, when we walk out of this room or walk out of our church or walk out of wherever we are, that the people would say to us, when you left, it was just as though Christ left, that we might be truly His representatives and uh, might portray Christ uh, and His gospel and His message to those who are around us. Thank God for the way this ministry has grown Uh, I think back 50 years to when we started. When we started in Australia, we started with nothing, absolutely nothing. Richard had been there, we had meetings with him. We had wonderful meetings for a month all over the country and we collected a whole lot of names and we collected uh, quite a lot of money. When he was leaving the country, we said, well, Richard, thank you for coming, it's just been great. God bless you as you go on your way. Here's all the names of these people, put them on your mailing list, keep in touch with them. Here's the money that we've collected. Take this with you and apply it to the ministry. And uh, Richard says, oh, no, no, you must start a mission in Australia. You must do something to help the persecuted. church. oh, no, 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 we've we've got our ministry. We were in another ministry. We've got our work to do, and uh, for us, it's mission accomplished. We wanted you to come. You came. You spoke. We had a great time. God bless you. Here's all this. Take it with you and, and go on your work. So... Richard said, no, 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 you must start something here in, in Australia to help the persecuted church. So uh, here, take these names, put all these names on a mailing list and send them all a newsletter. November 69, we managed to put out our first newsletter and, and praise God, praise God. From that moment on to this day, the Australian mission has been totally self-sufficient because our sufficiency is in God and in the Lord. And we look to Him and as we go about what He wants us to do, we are not helping Him. He is helping us to do the work that He wants us to do. And may that ever be that as we go on as the voice of the martyrs here in the United States and other places of the world, that we will realize that it is not our work, it all belongs to God, And we are privileged that he has put out his hand and put it upon each one of us and given us the opportunity to work together with him to get the work done that that he has for us to do. Thank you, and may God bless you. That's Merv
0: Knight here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He's been encouraging all of us to follow God's lead and do exactly what the Lord is calling us to do. Merv was the longest-serving board member for the Voice of the Martyrs USA until his retirement to emeritus status not too long ago. We've been listening to a talk that he gave here to the staff at VOM USA. And if you've gotten excited about the stories he's been telling today, you can read those kinds of stories every month in the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter. It's free. We want you to have it. We want you to be equipped to pray for persecuted Christians every month. Just come to vomradio.net. Right at the top of the page, there's a link that says free newsletter. Click on that. Give me your name and address, and we will send that to you. Again, that website, vomradio.net. And while you're there, would you do me a favor? Just drop me a note and let me know how VOM Radio has impacted or blessed you. We're coming up on the five-year anniversary of VOM Radio, and our team here at VOM would love to know how these conversations have impacted your faith, how they've helped you connect with persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. There's a spot right at the bottom of the page. You can just type in a quick note. Please go to vomradio.net. Let me know how VOM Radio has impacted your faith and encouraged you over the past five years. I hope you're back to join us next week. We're going to hear from a man who shares the truth about Jesus and the gospel into a nation where the government is completely opposed to the church. How does he do it? Join us next time to find out right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.